0: Turn with me to Exodus chapter 4. We're going to be looking almost entirely there today. Um, And then just jump forward to that Matthew bit at the very end. Uh, Put your hand up if you have watched much of or followed much of or competed in combat sports. No, okay. So for most of you in this room, um, there are things involved in that that you don't care about at all, and you don't need to know about because you're not following it. Uh, There's a lot that happens before you step into the ring. Uh, First, you announce a fight. Uh, We saw that sort of happen last week. God came to Moses and said, you're going back to Egypt I've sent you, and, you know, we're going to beat down Pharaoh together. Uh, so a challenge has been made uh, in a fight of this sort of magnitude. This is really a, a heavyweight uh, world championship fight. A fight of this magnitude, you then go away for what's called a training camp, and that's what we're going to see today. Um, over the next couple of weeks, um, you know, the parts that we're gonna look at are what would be called the weigh-in. So the two fighters, they show up, they stand next to each other, and they compare weight. Uh, This is an important thing. You don't want someone who's 150 kilos punching someone who's 60. And if you have someone who's 60 kilos punching someone who's 150 kilos, it's not gonna do anything. Uh, They then have their opening salvos, and the next day they step into the ring. And, you know, it's coming up. We've got a 10-round, grueling, particularly punishing uh, fight lined up for us. Over the next couple of weeks, we see them have their opening salvos. But today, Moses is away on his training camp. Uh, This is when uh, the two teams, they go and they isolate themselves and they go through what their plan is going to be. They try and find their own weaknesses and sort of shore them up. They try and find their own strengths and see where they can uh, really compete against the other team. And that's what we're seeing today. God is coaching Moses before uh, they get to their fight. Uh, God has already told Moses that, the outcome is assured. We, we know what's going to happen at the end. but Moses, he's a bit of an unwilling combatant, we'd have to say. He's looking and you know finding whatever he can to not have to go and compete against Pharaoh. And I think if we look at it, we can understand that. I mean, uh, the Pharaoh in question Uh, Most people think he's Ramses II. Um, He's a military commander. He is someone who has, or he's expanded Egypt's borders. Uh, The other um, major empire at the time, the Hittites, they're sort of half on the run from him. He's taking land from them left, right, and center. Uh, He's... He's a great ruler. Uh, He's got building projects happening. He's made Egypt an impressive place. Uh, And with his family, he's had the Hebrews subjugated for the last roughly 100 years. Moses is about 80. He's not someone who can really compete. Uh, Pharaoh has, realistically, he's already won the fight. He won it a 100 years ago, before Moses was born. Uh, That's who Moses is going to be fighting against. And so Moses comes up with some pretty great excuses. Uh, He turns around to God and he says, well, you're sending me back to the Hebrews. They're not going to believe me. And so God says that comforting thing that he said, I will be with you, and then he gives him some signs to show the Hebrews. Uh, The first one that uh, Lenny failed miserably at, uh, we have a staff that turns into a snake. Uh, If you look around at different commentaries, uh, different people will think or will say that this represents different things. Uh, but it's it's rather telling that the staff turns into a snake not just because you know a staff that you know this tall and a bit knobbly can look like a snake that might be about this long and a bit squirrely uh, but also because previously and further through the Bible Satan was described as a snake uh, so what might God be Saying with that, well, he throws, so Moses throws the staff on the ground, it turns into a snake. Moses does the right thing and he runs away. And then God says, pick it up by the tail. Um, If you've never had to pick up a snake before, you never pick it up by the tail. If you pick it up by the tail, it will bite you. Moses does what he's told, it turns back into a staff. What's God saying? Well, I don't want to put words in God's mouth, but God controls this. God is the one who's in control. Uh, He has power over the enemies of God. Well, the next uh, sign, as Moses says, well, what if they don't believe this sign? And God says, I've got another one for you. Uh, Moses is told to put his hand into his uh, cloak. When he takes it out, it's covered in leprosy, Uh, a skin disease that, again, throughout the rest of the Bible, if you have this skin disease, you are unclean. You can't be with the people of God. Again, I don't want to put uh, words in God's mouth, but God is saying here that I can control this. And he shows that because Moses puts his hand back in his cloak, pulls it out, and his hand is fine. Uh, God is in control of what is clean and unclean, and he shows Moses that he is clean. Uh, it's interesting, we'll see in a few weeks, that Moses uh, shows uh, both of, well, we'll see it today, Moses shows both of these to the Hebrews, but he doesn't show that one, to the Egyptians. Uh, God has given Moses a promise of healing and of cleanness, and this is not given to the Egyptians. Uh, The third sign, uh, Moses doesn't get to see yet, but he's told about. He's told, take some water from the Nile River, pour it on the ground, and when it hits the ground, it will be blood. Uh, This is, spoilers for those who haven't read ahead, this is the first plague. Uh, The Nile River is the lifeblood of Egypt. Uh, Not just, it's going to be literally the blood in Egypt, but metaphorically, the Nile River is the thing that keeps Egypt fertile. Uh, Every year it floods, and the silt that is brought through is the only thing in Egypt that you can really plant in. And God is going to turn that to blood, is what he's told Moses. Uh, There are three pretty good signs, we'd have to admit. Um, God is in control of these things in a way that, well, no one really can be. And so he tells Moses to go. Uh, We've done our training. You're ready for this. I told you last week, I'm going to be doing all of this. I just need you there. And Moses says, another minor little quibble. I'm not going to know what to say. And as Lenny heard today, God said, I'm going to tell you what to say. Your words will be the words that I have given you. Uh, you know, God's not just getting involved. God is going to be... You know, well, Mo- Moses is only just standing in the way of God doing it in some ways. Uh, Moses is to be God's puppet in the same way as, I'm sorry to break the magic, but Lenny is Dave's puppet. Lenny doesn't have words of his own, Moses is not going to have words of his own. Okay, okay, fine, Moses says, you, you have given me the words, but I'm not a good talker. I don't talk good in front of people. You really, I think, should possibly maybe think about sending someone else. And God's already given him everything that he needs and more. And Moses has already been sent. And so, uh, in verse 14, God gets angry at Moses. Uh, The Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? He can speak well, and he is already on his way to meet you and his heart will be glad when he sees you. uh, Moses, he's got a good reason. Well, a reason. And God's already seen around that. Uh, Aaron is already on the way. Uh, We see towards the end of this passage that they actually meet at the spot that God is talking to Moses. I don't know whether that was straight away, um, as there seems to be a bit of time in the middle, or whether he walked back to there and met Aaron there. But God has already foreseen the issues that Moses is going to raise, and he's dealt with them all. Uh, and And then God goes on saying to Moses that Aaron will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. God is offering Moses, or God had offered that to Moses already. He'd said, this is what is going to happen. And Moses said, no. And God said, fine, it's going another step. You are going to be my prophet. You still are, but Aaron is going to be your mouth. And so Moses goes. Uh, he, He possibly has another couple of reasons that he hasn't talked about here. Uh, The first one, I wonder if he really trusts God. Does Moses trust God to do what God has said? Uh, We know that later on, the Israelites don't. We know that all through the Bible, people don't trust God to do what he said he's going to do. Uh, From chapter 3 of the Bible right through to the very end, people don't trust God. And all the way through the Bible, God says, yeah, you can trust me. Look, look at what I've already done. Trust the words that I have told you. But there's another reason, and it's, it comes out of that really weird bit right towards the end, verses 24 uh, through to 26. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord left him alone. And at that time she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Now, that is a really weird thing to put in the middle of this passage. I see a couple of nods. It's an, What is this here for? And I think this is the last reason that Moses didn't want to go. Moses I don't think at this stage sees himself as a Hebrew. If we think back through Moses' life he was born, he spent a few months uh, living with his Hebrew family and then 40 years being raised as an Egyptian. He speaks Hebrew is a second language, uh, and only as one of their rulers. He knows Egyptian customs better than uh, Hebrew ones. And then once he left, uh, he's a Midianite. He spent 40 years living with the the Midianites. And so Moses hasn't done what the Hebrews are supposed to do. He hasn't circumcised his son, and so God comes upon him. But this is the moment that Moses becomes a Hebrew. He does the things that God has told him. Well, Sapporah does the things on his behalf that Moses was supposed to do. Moses is on his way. He's getting ready. The title fight has been announced. Uh, we have in the red corner uh, Ramses and we have in the blue corner Moses. We're going to see how that plays out over the next few weeks, Uh, but there's a couple of things about those two people that are the same. And I want to talk about that really quickly, because uh, while we know that Moses sounds like the Hebrew for drawn out, we see that uh, the little footnote at the bottom of chapter 2, Moses is also an Egyptian word. So he's, he's got a great pun name. Uh, his Hebrew name is drawn out, and his Egyptian name is son of, that's it, son of. It's a joke. Moses has no father. Uh, Ramesses, on the other hand, or if we're gonna say it in the same way, Ra, Moses, is the son of Ra. If you don't know Ra, uh, you weren't paying attention in Egyptian mythology class. Ra is the chief god of the Egyptian pantheon. He's the god of the sun. Ramesses is saying that he is the son of the sun god. Moses is the son of but. We come to verse 22, and it's a wonderful verse. Say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. Moses is here as the representative of Israel. Israel is the son of God. Now, we're going to leave aside for just a second that Jesus is God's son. Right here, God has said, Israel is the son of God. And now we have a bit more of what we might say is an even fight. The son of Ra versus the son of Yahweh. Now, spoilers, we know who's going to win. It's not the son of Ra. But the son of Yahweh, the Israelites, Moses, they're the ones who are going to win in this fight. Which, where does that leave us? Well, I said that we're going to leave aside Jesus being the Son of God for just a second, because Jesus is the Son of God, isn't he? And we, he says, can be his adopted sons and daughters. We, just like the Israelites, can be children of God. Isn't that wonderful? That Jesus, the Son of God, says that you can be the Son of God, like me. And if we jump forward to that uh, really short passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, we see there that God protects his Son. Uh, We see it in a number of other places, but we see here uh, that Jesus, the Son of God, is protected by God. We see through the rest of Exodus that The Israelites, the children of God, are protected by God. Do we trust God for that? God often tells us to trust the words because of his deeds. Do we trust God with that? If we are God's children, what do we do with that? Uh, Over the next few weeks, we're going to see what Moses did with that and what Pharaoh would like to do with that. Uh, But for now... Let's pray. Dear God, uh, thank you for Moses. Thank you that uh, he uh, is your son. Thank you that uh, Jesus is your son. And we thank you that through him we can be your children. Amen.